0: If you could write a letter on a tablet that would be kept for all time and would also give some insight into the world right now and who you are and the things going on in your life, what would be on that letter? In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Vindolanda tablets, which are an interesting archaeological find related to England and Britain, and also ancient Rome. And we're going to be talking about that along with the reality of unclean spirits, and perhaps we should say the unnatural, uncreated, but nonetheless real reality of unclean spirits. We'll get into all that fun language here for our final segment of the show, and we're going to be talking about demons and evil and things of that nature for that conversation as well. But... For now, thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm Pastor Jade Dillon Proctor, and there are two others here with me in the studio.
1: I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow.
0: And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And we really do have a enjoyable program for you today. Um, Pastor Amanda, would you open us up in prayer?
1: Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity, uh, this time and space that you have created uh, for us to come and to gather and to draw closer to you and to learn and to discuss um, the fun things of life and also the serious things. So give us peace and give us uh, wisdom and strength, we pray. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. And for our first segment, before we get into those serious conversations, let's have some fun in our Unholiness Today, where we play my cellar Hold looking at a variety of items And find out are we buying, selling, or holding on these strange things? Um, And of course, you only get one hold per episode. And those of you out there in the audience, y'all send us your thoughts, questions, and comments as well. And the first thing we've got is actually from a viewer. So we're going to go ahead and play this for you. All right. So I really like wearing Boogaloo bibs. I love my bibs, but they finally broke. And uh, Eleanor loves them, right? She always knows that it's time to do work if I go put them on. so I did something special for her (laughs) and there is the dog Eleanor if you didn't know this is how a dog would wear bibs if dogs wore bibs hold on stop stop let's see all right so the dog dog, here is wearing the bibs the overalls it's a big german shepherd and when I say big she's a big girl she's about 100 pounds and she has a bigger waist than a adult man um And so there's the question that people used to have, and I'll pull up this picture of Eleanor in the bibs, very cute picture of the dog wearing the pants. People used to debate if dogs wore pants, how would they wear them? Would it be this way or this way? And one way being the whole bottom of the dog front and back legs are in the pants. And then the alternative is only the hips or the rear hips back, um, as opposed to the shoulders and by selling a hold, did Tyler answer this question on how dogs would wear pants? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think so. I I definitely buy that.
0: (laughs) I'm going to
2: buy as well, but I would say, what about, you you know, Eleanor's in good shape there, it looks like, but what about Loki? So I I know Tyler, and I know he has two dogs. Yep, there's a husky. um, You got got one set, you got to have another set, but uh, outstanding. (laughs) Uh, He gets two thumbs up on on being uh, um, dog etiquette.
0: Yep. All right, so next up in unholiness today... Here we've got a little chihuahua dog. I used to have a little chihuahua dog named Charlie, and man, he is doing some crazy tricks. He goes up the man's back, climbing around the whole man's body as he does kind of some flips. The dog stays on top of him, whatever the highest point of the man is, going all the way up his legs, and the man is doing a handstand as the dog is now on his feet. He is fully upside down with his hands. The dog is way up in the air. Let me pull that down so the dog is fully visible. This is a very, very impressive scene here with this dog up there. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. So, buy a on hold on that. The athletic little dog.
1: I, I think buy, although I do worry that dog's shaking so much. Uh, though that may just be the natural state of chihuahuas, I don't know.
0: Yes, as someone who has owned a chihuahua, <laughs> that is what they do,
1: they do. okay well because at first i was like man he looks scared but he also looks like he wants to do it so i'm not no, sure he's... but that is that's quite talented
2: <laughs> yes Buster mike i'm so going old. i'm going to buy big buy, and uh yeah it's a, well you know it's a it's a medium buy not a big buy <laughs> i'm going to buy and, and i agree i think there's a lot of talent in the man there a lot of uh, coordination and strength and and on the dog as well but the, it would be a strong buy if to get the Tyler bibs on that. <laughs> on the Chihuahua. That, that would, would be a be stronger a small
0: body. person. I don't think they could wear well, that.
2: You have to well, do, what you do, do what you got to do Do what you got to do. All right.
0: We're well, going on next in Unholiness today. We have a car on a trampoline. And by this, we mean we've got some small hatchback dropped. And I believe this is in Australia. Yes, it falls down on the trampoline. Um, quite something to see there. We'll see if we can pull that up again. Yep, it comes down very short. Quite an interesting contraption. Are we buy, selling, or holding this?
1: Uh, I think I'm going to sell it just because I don't know where the car goes afterwards. And um, eventually, if you keep dropping things like that, I would imagine something's going to fall. Like, it looks like the trampoline's within, like, a fenced-in area. But eventually something is going to uh, bounce out of that fenced-in area and could be quite dangerous. So, um, yeah, I'm going to sell that.
2: I have to buy because I don't want to be accused of being, um, you know, I've done crazy stuff, and I don't I, I, don't know that I've ever dropped a band from 100 feet, what it looks like. I don't know, but I'm going to buy it. it. It, it doesn't look very productive, and it doesn't <laughs> look like it's anything useful coming out of this, but well, it has been done. I'm, I'm going to buy it. I'm yep.
0: going to buy it, too. Let me posit my thing. I'm buying it because there's a little unchained vinegar in these guys' blood. Yes. When when Nebuchadnezzar comes and asks you to bow down to the golden statue, or I should say demands you to, anybody that's going to drop a hatchback from a crane onto a trampoline, <laughs> they're not bowing down. They're not bowing down. They might be thrown into a fiery furnace, but they ain't bowing down. I like that. You so know, I'm buying it. When
2: Robbie Knievel jumps from one rooftop to the other, it, it, it's not a question of why, <laughs> it's because it can be done or the possibility that it can't be done. Yeah. That, that's,
0: I'm going to buy on that. All right. All right. Well, let's go on to the next one now. All right. Here we've got some other athletic dogs. These are also German Shepherds and man, they go up this tree to catch their ball and it is unreal how high these dogs can get, man. This, this is crazy stuff here. We've got to play that video one more time. Um, Athletic dogs indeed. So, for our Bicella hold question, do you wish you had the joint integrity that these dogs have?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um,
0: Because they're falling from a pretty great height. They they got some pretty amazing joints on these.
1: Yeah. No, I I wish so. I mean, like, (laughs) there's no way I'm falling from that tree limb or whatever and, you know, not spraining something or hurting something in the morning. So, yeah, I wish I was as athletic as those dogs.
0: (laughs) All right, Mike?
2: I'll, I'll buy. That, that's uh, just outstanding. Aspiring. Um,
0: yeah, great. Yeah, outstanding indeed. All right, now we've got one other. This is amazing. So we've got three dogs, Sheba dogs, and one cat. And they all wait in a choreographed wait. And then when all is said and done, they all together start eating. Now, I didn't know you could train a cat to do anything. Yeah. If if somebody out there knows the secret of training cats, that you can train a cat to do something, <laughs> please let me know. I, I I literally didn't know you could train a cat to do anything. But I mean, that's not because cats are dumb. They just have a different... Um, they train people. Cats they train have a different their persona. owners
2: rather than tra- owners training their
0: cats. Yeah, yeah, something like that's the case with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so buy, sell, or hold, this cat that is trained to do something...
1: something yeah i think buying and i think there's some kind of lesson in there about um maybe the cat's trained so well because it's trained amongst the dogs and so there's some kind of lesson about yeah um surrounding ourselves with good oh yeah good uh peer pressure and things like that or, yeah. or good company so uh yeah buy that that's cool yeah
2: yeah i, I wasn't going to buy until i heard what pastor amanda <laughs> said and i'm going to buy on on based on her explanation
0: that sounds good well moving along now we've got some pictures all right, so here we had a buff pit bull, but what about this buff naked oh, cat? So naked cats are weird, anyway. Here's a buff naked cat. Are we buying, selling, holding, this? selling
1: that, and maybe calling an exorcist. Like, there needs to be some holy water and a couple crosses involved in this. Like this, mm. this is, and like it looks, its paws are so muscular. It looks like it has fingers, and that just takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah, that, th-
0: that's not not good, Mike. I.
2: I don't know what to do with it. It's it's so bizarre. I I think I'm going to to hold because part of me wants to buy because it, this is a <laughs> tremendous specimen, but yet I don't know that it fits in the cat category. So oh. I, I'm going to hold on that. I, my one hold. It's spent.
0: Oh, I'm I'm selling on this dude. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's a beast from some sort of apocalyptic book. All right, next up we've got another cat, and somebody has painted a picture of this cat. Um. <laughs> going to give it some compliments for its figure, though the cat looks very sad in the painting. And there's this whole general notion that we find where people do pay to have their pets painted. Are we? Let's just buy, sell, and hold that. Having a professionally expensive-made painting of your pet.
1: I will buy it because if I had more spending money, I think I would do it. Like, I, I think I've gotten to that level of crazy pet parent. And I'm okay with that now. Like, maybe, you know, before I had Duke... I, I would have been like, ah, oh, those crazy people. But now I'm like, yes, no, I feel you. I got you. Uh, I'll buy it. <laughs> like,
2: I am one of the most spoiling uh, pet owners ever, but I'm going to sell. I, I just don't. I don't know. It's just, uh, that's crossed the line
0: for I, me. I have a reason why I'm going to sell. Not because I'm opposed to like doing stuff with your dogs or making a painting yourself, but I, by the same logic, anybody that's dropping a hatchback on its top, they're not going to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. The chances are, if you have the money and actually are having pictures painted of your cat, you're probably somebody who's a crony, who's who's kind of, um, you, you've you done some deals, you've done some negotiating, you've worked yourself into Nebuchadnezzar's web, and you kind of like being near Nebuchadnezzar. You're kind of one of his cronies. I don't, don't know if I have a good story for that, but, <laughs> but I feel like if you're willing to do that, you are a crony of somebody who is either a gross tyrant or somebody who's just gross in some way. So I'm going to sell on it for that way.
2: You know, if, if the cat, the cat, I'm just going to say it as nice as I can, it's obese. Yes. But I, you, there's something about that. It's like, oh, man, that's just not a good, not a good <laughs> picture of a cat. Yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's,
0: <laughs> it's, it's interesting. All right, well, moving along. Next, we have animals interrupting f- wildlife photographers. And so you've got, a, like, a fox kit on top of a man, some, like, little wolf cubs, um, some little cheetah, and a bit cheetah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what, oh, man, that's fantastic. I, I, I'm glad for them they got a good photo, which I guess means they had a second crew out there, or, some, yeah. or at least a second photographer. Maybe they had a camera set up remotely or something. Um but it does, like I think, also illustrate really wonderfully, kind of just the just what happens when we try to capture nature and be unintrusive. Like just our mere presence changes you, how they relate to them. So
0: you just changed my mind on this, uh, but we'll get to that when okay. it's my turn.
1: But I think it's cute. I, I'll buy it. <laughs>
0: Mike, I'm
2: I'm going to sell. Uh, I it, to me, I don't know if these animals have been domesticated or if it's just a curious. Young animal, but there is a mother animal somewhere ready to, to
0: protect it. I'm <laughs> yeah. d- I'm gonna sell. All right, I'm selling because Amanda pointed out that these pictures were made by someone, so this stuff is probably all staged, which means it's not as cute as I thought it was originally. So well,
1: it may, I think maybe not staged, but they've been out there long enough for the animals not to see them either as food or a threat. Yeah. Um, and again, that's just I think the nature of those things. Even in trying, what is it called? It's the observation. Um oh, it's a scientific principle. But basically, simply by observing something, we've actually changed what it is. Yeah. Um. So there is no kind of objective... There's no such thing as a truly objective observer yeah. because your mere presence has changed it. But it's still adorable.
0: Sure. All right. Well, moving on to the next one. <laughs> this woman... This happened for real in 2019, Ohio. A woman broke into a home, pet the family dog, washed the dishes, and then left and then got arrested for, for trespassing for it. Um. So the buy, sell, or hold proposition for this is... This the best possible burglar if you're gonna have a burglar, or someone to break in, I should say. Break if you're gonna in, have yes. a trespasser, um, is this the best possible scenario? I
1: think the only way it could get better if maybe she like dusted or, or swept some floors, <laughs> but no. See, it um, could get better though. It could get better. So I guess it's not the best. But I, I I think very very nominally could it get better? Um, within the same vein, it could only get better. But yeah, I think honest and and also what is it with Ohio? We've been talking about recently some weird weird things going on in Ohio. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, so that's different thing. <laughs> but, um, but it's a weird state, I guess. It's like last week we were talking about all the cults in California. I don't know. Maybe to track something. But anyhow, I, I think that is your best case scenario.
0: So there's a buy. Mike, I'm going to sell.
2: I'm going to sell. Maybe Bigfoot could come in and do the dishes. <laughs> I'm going to sell.
1: Maybe I, Bigfoot when, can pet your dog. Yeah. When Bigfoot, Bigfoot I look comes this, in
2: pets a dog.
0: The fact that she pets the dog is relevant. I've, I've often said, you know, you don't have to love dogs. You don't have to be a dog owner or anything like that. But... Generally speaking, how people treat God's creatures is something which gives insight in their soul. If somebody's going to be nice to a dog, um, they, that's generally a, some sort of indicator of the behavior. Because people who want to torture animals meaninglessly, they like to see animals suffer. Probably not some good things, um, some deep, deep problems. Um, which I mean, we're all sinners, but there there are some very violent sins in there um, that that are not good. All right, so that is it for our pictures. And now we've got to go through this last list really quickly. All right. Um, So what we're going to be doing for the rest of Bicellar Hold, we got to do, so we're just going to be able to answer these one-word answers so we can get to our next segment. Um, So we've got 10 quick propositions. Okay. Number one, going to national parks is more fun with your family. So like to the Smoky Mountains, something outdoorsy. Going to an outdoors national park is more fun with your family, but going to a theme park is more fun with a church group.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I I'm uh, I, know. I don't you... know. Uh <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I think I'm going to buy But both can be fun. And then you could flip that around and I think it could still be fun. It depends on the church group and it depends on the family, to be honest.
0: Um so But generally buying. Generally buying, all right, yeah. Mike. Generally selling. Gen- <laughs> I'm buying. Number two. Grilling out is better than a spaghetti night in. So grilling out is better than spaghetti night in.
1: I'm gonna sell, I think.
0: Mike, bye bye. Um, having physical media, so like hard DVDs, hard VHS tapes, is better than having digital copies of them, like owning movies on an Amazon. Can. Bye. So buy? Yes. Sell, sell. <laughs> If two sodas, because a lot of this is 4th of July barbecue themed. If two sodas came to Jesus and said, let us sit on your right and left, they would be Dr. Pepper and Mountain Dew.
1: Oh, sell. Ugh, Mountain Dew. No. No, yeah, it'd be Dr. Pepper and Vanilla Coke.
0: Oh, an, mm. an interesting choice. But I can see that. Mike? I'll sell. You'll sell? All righty. Uh, I'll sell, too, even though I wrote it. Um, <laughs> number six, swimming pool. Swimming. During the summer. So swimming in a pool on a summer night is more fun than swimming in a pool on a summer day.
1: Yes. Bye. bye. I'm, I miss having a pool so much.
0: Bye. Mike. Mike. All right. Watching the seas part before Moses would have been a more beautiful sight than watching the floods recede as Noah. Yeah. Quicker. That would have been quicker. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I'm going to bye.
0: <laughs> bye. All right. Life on the ark definitely had to be a calling of God because living with all those animals in that closed environment would have gotten old after an hour.
1: Okay. Not just the animals living with seven other people would have gotten old fast. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to buy that proposition.
0: Mike. Bye. All right. This one actually has to do with the conversation I had with some people that ate brains the other day. <laughs> um, eating bugs is preferable to eating brains. Yeah. Mike. Bye. Bye. All right. <laughs> Barbecuing in the evening is better than a big pancake breakfast. Bye. So. <laughs> I done lost my hold <laughs> Yes Having breakfast on the beach with Jesus After the crucifixion and resurrection Would have been more stressful Than the last supper Before the crucifixion
1: Yeah because they didn't know what was happening At the last supper was, God bless the disciples And we're probably more like them than we care to admit But they didn't have glue on Then afterwards that would be highly stressful Because Jesus would be telling you like Go feed my sheep
2: Yeah I'm still concerned about who's going to betray. Is it Um, I? Is it I? I'm going to go with
0: with a sale. Okay. Oh, I'm I'm definitely buying in light of everything (laughs) that goes on because not only were they worried about that, but now Jesus is like calling Peter out. He's like, "Do you love me?"
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it was definitely directed at Peter, but let's. I mean, I don't think Peter was the only one squirming in the seat in that that, conversation. No, (laughs) I don't think so
0: either. I think they were all squirming in their seat. What about John? What about him?
1: Well, he's going to yeah, live yeah, forever. I, <laughs> no. I love that. Like just the height of them not understanding what Jesus yeah. has to say right there. That's a fantastic chapter.
0: <laughs> All righty. Well, that wraps up our buy, sell, or hold. Said so, you know, that whole segment went a little bit long, but it was kind of fun. Um, we're going to be back to talk about some interesting archaeological finds. So thank you for joining us. We'll be back here in a moment. Alrighty, thank you for spending time with us here at Kingdom of the Lagos. We are a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. And we're going to be talking about some old adventures. And we're going to be going back in time to talk about some letters. But I want us to imagine just for a moment imagine making something that gives insight into life today. Really, can you imagine trying to, especially with everything going on in 2020, trying to put something out there in the world that would capture this moment for future generations to see and understand? Today, we're gonna be talking about the Vindalanda letters, and letters play an important role in our world. Even if conventional mail is getting less and less used, But when you look to our New Testament, you'll find like a whole lot of Holy Scriptures are actually letters. Um, We have a a lot of letters that have been influential in in the history of the church. When we study events like world wars, we find that letters are very powerful. They give us insight into life between soldiers and their family and a lot of things going on in the world. Letters can do a lot to encapsulate history. And today we're going to be talking about the Vindalanda tablets, which are letters from the ancient world. And we're going to have some fun talking about them as well. We're going to have some fun imagining if we were to write a letter that would be put on a little plank of wood that would be kept for all time. And they're about eight inches by three inches. They're not terribly large. If we had these little letters, what would you put on there? Um, Just for a little quick history of what we're talking about. So these Vendelanda letters, as they are called, they are little wooden planks. They're little wooden tablets. They're about eight inches by... 3 inches, so they're not terribly large, and they were all found in the Vindolanda region there in England. And they date from the 1st and 2nd century, and they are some of the oldest writings that we have from the regions of Roman Britain. And it really is a an interesting archaeological find because these were just letters between people. They might be letters between soldiers and their families, um, maybe a a higher ranking soldier and his wife you find a lot of really interesting things and even correspondence between different military activities where they're detailing things itemizing things but these letters really truly are fascinating because they were all handwritten by the people that sent them so it wasn't like some scribe had something they were putting out there this was just people's personal stuff and one letter in particularly which is numbered number 346 is fascinating and it's a letter that's to a soldier and it's presumably from his parents and just to give you insight into how much life was similar to us it was today even though this is ancient Rome the letter says um, I have sent you we don't know what the number is but I have sent you X amount of pairs of socks from Satua two pairs of sandals and two pairs of underwear Um, we have also another pair of sandals sent and the name that's associated that we don't know who they were then it says, greet Elpius, Teriticus, and all your other messmates, whom I love that you live with, and you have the greatest of good fortune. So, an interesting letter that was sent from presumably his parents to this soldier. And again, he got underwear and socks, um, which confirmed that in the ancient world, they can only imagine like a burlap pair of socks. That would be awful. I, I don't know how you don't. Know, as an adult, sock getting socks is actually pretty good uh, for like Christmas because like a, a good pair of socks goes a long way. What do y'all imagine ancient socks to be like? I would have imagined some form of ancient underwear, but socks is something I wasn't expecting to have read here.
1: <laughs> well, and I think it's funny too. It's like we sent you sandals and socks, and I'm just like, huh. I don't know enough about first and second century Roman military. Garb to know did you wear your socks with sandals? Like, Are you
0: saying they have no taste? <laughs> no taste
1: and um but also like I mean I guess boots would have obviously been invented by then, so maybe that some you had boots for the rainier weather or the depending on where they were in Britain it could have been very wet and marshy, so I I don't know. But yeah, um Yeah, it's, that's that's strange.
0: Yeah, it, it is kinda <laughs> interesting. So I want us to play a little bit of a game with this because you know, how we record the world around us is actually very meaningful. I mean, especially when you look throughout the Holy Scriptures. You look in the, the Old Testament, and we're going to be going here at Jolton to the book of Nehemiah come Sunday. And, you know, it's a memoir. It's, it's often associated with the book of Ezra. Of course, they used to be one text. But you look at something like that where you've got a memoir. You look to the New Testament, you've got letters from Paul letters that are sent to people can be very very meaningful and you even look in the book of Revelation Jesus has these seven letters to the churches and yes there were real churches John had these churches that he was an apostle he was serving to them but I want us to imagine in our lives if we were to write a letter um how important would that be because this kind of challenges us to to kind of contemplate all of our actions may actually have a bigger impact on history than we thought. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't imagine whoever was writing this letter to the soldier about you know underwear and socks would have thought that this would be kept for basically all time and people would have this and they would look at it and be like, okay, so this is what life in ancient Rome was like. You know, our actions do have a lot larger impact than we realize. Um, And if we were to sit down and deliberately know that you were going to write something on a little tablet letter that's about eight inches by three inches, some of them are more square, others more rectangular, I've got some pictures of them up and some different people working at the archaeological site, I want us to imagine today that we were going to write some letters on one of these little cards so you've got about eight inches by three inches about the size of a note card something like that not a lot of space if you're going to write a letter what would you put on there what would be the general message and i've got three categories for us to choose from And here in the studio we're going to have some fun with this one you can write a letter to your family or two a letter to a group sort of like paul writes just to a church or three we're going to break the laws of physics in time and let you write a letter to yourself from the past if you want to. But I want each of us to take some time and say, if you could write a letter, what would your, which of these three categories would you pick, and what would be on there? So, Amanda, would you like to go first?
1: Uh, I'll let someone else go first if they've got My, their thoughts. <laughs>
0: I, yeah, I've got, I've got an answer because I
2: actually had the, the opportunity to, pastor a former pastor who had gotten elderly, and that's. Uh, I don't mind t- sharing his name, Norman Ritchie, and he called, and though he didn't write it down on a on a three by eight card, but he left a message for me. And often he called himself Paul, and he would call me Timothy because he was mentoring me. And he would he said, "This uh, Timothy, this is Paul. Yeah, I'm an old man. I have fought the good fight. I've run the race." But now it's your time to carry the gospel. And I mean, he would give me this beautiful, uh, and I I kept that recording. I actually transferred it onto some digital stuff. And when he passed away, he had mentored so many people. And by using that that group language and church language of Paul and Timothy, his children, but the, the entire sanctuary at that, at that funeral, could place themselves in that role of Timothy, and it spoke volumes. So uh, I would I would go with I would choose number two there, a letter to a group, and I would probably place it in the uh, names of biblical characters in in that
0: in that light. Okay, yeah. very interesting. Um, so yeah, cool. Amanda, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, um, I think. If I were to have something and if I knew it was going to be kept for all of history, I think um, I would tend to lean towards the letter to your family kind of because, I mean, when you're writing to a group, even, well, everything's digitized now, so almost everything we do in some form or fashion is preserved for as long as there are these mediums, which is a scary thought because uh, we've done some silly stuff even on this program, but uh, um that uh, I don't know if I'd want people to necessarily uh, be like, oh, wow, this is indicative of, of you know, 2020. Um, but anyways, um, I think also sometimes when we do these for- more formal things, life is kind of artificially preserved. Um, when we're like writing to an email to our DS or writing a letter to a business, um, things are slightly different. They're more, I think there's skewed slightly. Versus if we're writing to our family, there's more authenticity, more honesty about the state of the world. And I think, like you said, I mean, who thought it would be uh, important to write about socks and underwear and sandals? And yet for the soldier who's far from home, uh, these are vital things for him to have. And then also to hear somebody who probably wasn't, or we don't know what faith they were, but in the first, second century, they're probably some kind of pagan Roman pantheon. But still, to hear that somebody was praying for you and not just you, but your fellow people with you, like just normal everyday sentiments become very vital and very important for the life and health of a person. So um, I could hope that maybe if I wrote a letter to my family, it would be that kind of encouraging and empowering um, for not only me and for them, but for whatever future generations would stumble upon it
0: so yeah i like that you're just talking about a letter to your family just showing the love of the family to illustrate that very important mm-hmm. i mean and again all this stuff there's not really a a good fixed answer to this because learning that people wore socks in ancient britain whether they wore them with because now we have to sort out do they wear socks with sandals or socks with boots i wouldn't have expected that to be socks at that time so that's yeah. kind of a fascinating thing um so there's a lot that can be learned from a letter like this if i were to write a letter you know, my temptation is to write a letter to myself telling myself that something like, you know, all the biblical stories are true. It's all true. It all comes true. Um, it's all true. But if you were to try to describe like 2020, nobody would believe you. I wouldn't believe myself. If, if somebody told me a year ago what would be going on this day, I wouldn't believe it. So I would write a letter to my family as well. I'd write a letter to my brother. Um, and I would be thanking him for the 25th birthday party he threw for me. Um, when I would turn 25, my brother i woke up and he had a briefcase with some literally gps coordinates in it and the keys to at the time i had a bmw z3 which was used in one of the james bond films um goldeneye and he had set up a whole day where i drove around i went and bought a cheap suit at goodwill um which when i was at goodwill i got out of my car i went inside a friend of mine tyler actually the one who had the german shepherd in the bibs he came out opened up the trunk to my car put something in there and then put a folder like inside the car and then shut the trunk and left and there was a cop sitting like right next <laughs> to us and I went inside dressed in certain clothes came outside in a different set of clothes <laughs> got in the car and left and then a few minutes later Tyler followed me because we were playing like a, a a game with like bond villains and stuff the cop didn't say anything which tells you the cops are doing a bad job at their job. That was the most suspicious <laughs> thing that could possibly happen, and they didn't care. Um, but anyways, I would just have a letter to my brother thanking him for that. And again, you've only got about eight eight by three, so not a big big card to write this, but say thanks for this birthday party where you let me pretend I was like James Bond for a day. You you had Tannerite. I got to shoot Ernst Diver Blofeld Jaws. They all blew up, blew up a wheelchair with a cat, um, fake cat.
1: Okay. Um, like,
0: wait, what? Fake cat, fake stuffed Thank you cat. This is yes, important clarification. Um, but you know, with that, there's aspirations, there's goals, there's good life together, and that shows an insight into some aspirational living, some fun things, and it's just an amazing day. And I would like to record that and remind people to have aspirations. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we've done silliness for a half hour, are y'all <laughs> ready to have a serious conversation on evil? sure you're like the meat is buried deep in this one (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna have fun though um so yeah we'll be back here in a second and we're gonna talk about evil and things uncreated it's gonna be a it's gonna be a bit of a doozy but it'll be worth your time All right, it is time for the final segment of the day, the final countdown. All right, so we're going to be talking about evil. So last Wednesday night, I taught a lesson on demons um, casting out things, and I used a couple of texts from Matthew chapter 10. And in Matthew chapter 10, you get Jesus twice commissioning and giving people authority over unclean spirits to cast out demons. Um, The first verse you actually find in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew 10 1 reads, Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to cure every disease and every sickness. And then in Matthew 10:7 he says, As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. It's pretty explicit that Jesus gives them authority and commissions them to cast out evil. And one of the things is we need to have a discussion about this. I, I taught a lesson Wednesday that says our society needs more exorcisms. A lot of people were kind of shocked by that. They were like, what are you talking about? And, and I was like, well, so many times we kind of have the Hollywood expectations of evil that entities that you might call a demon, they, they kind of look something human-esque. Maybe they're a little transient. They can move through walls, something like that. But they generally mimic the human form um, to an extent. But the truth is is evil is something which is uncreated and we'll get to all this in a second and hollywood obviously kind of uses the human template to imagine this but in truth scripture tells us clearly that demons are real unclean spirits are real and there are things that possess people but the way that evil possesses people is not the same way that living things interact you look at for say jesus when he gets crucified there's a mob that crucifies him the whole mob mentality is a real conscious evil that can possess people. But it's a unique form of consciousness. And what's interesting is whenever people get part of a mob, whether they're crucifying Jesus or, you know, whatever mobs are, are doing, a lot of times they don't feel personally guilty about the horrible things they've done because when you're in the mob possession, you kind of feel severed from your own consciousness. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't be held accountable. I mean, God is the judge of living the dead. But whenever people are possessed by a mob, when they're possessed by something like that, they do feel severed from their consciousness. Which also reminds us that your feelings don't tell you whether you're doing something wrong or not. But I want us to have a conversation about this because evil is something that is interesting. So before I get into some of my pointed, deliberate proposition questions for this, I just kind of want to open up the studio a little bit for us here at Kingdom of the Lagos, those of us who are of different pulpits, but we come together in the same studio. I want us to kind of use the pulpit that is our studio here even though it's not really to share our thoughts on this on the origins of evil just this whole conversation amanda do you want to go first yeah okay
1: do you, do you have a um just in general
0: yeah just general thoughts about evil and its its origins and things of that nature
1: um i, I think there is something very like you even mentioned hollywood depicting evil and using the human uh humanesque i guess uh Analogy in order to give it a face, give it obviously some kind of actor or something to represent evil, so there can be a protagonist that the or an antagonist so that the protagonist can fight against. Um, and I also think it's interesting a lot of supernatural kind of genres, whether it's TV shows or or movie series. Uh, some usually sometimes that happens in them is when the protagonist goes up against what they think is a supernatural evil and ends up being just a human being yeah. you have that next file supernatural's done S- an episode Scooby about Doo. That. Yeah, it yeah well that's basically the premise of <laughs> scooby-doo is that the real villain are humans all along yeah. um and i think there's something interesting though to play with that in the origin of evil is to realize that evil exists because humanity has made the choice of disobeying god uh, living in wrong relationship with others with creation even within ourselves and yet evil is not a person yeah and i think there's an interesting dynamic that has to take place and we have to understand that as we go to do battle with evil yeah that although evil can possess people yeah And again, not just a Hollywood version of heads spinning around and spilling out pea soup, but evil, very real evil, whether it is the evil of a mob mentality or nationalism, racism, sexism, whatever isms we want to throw in there, mindsets of oppression and hurt and pain, uh, that those do exist or people are possessed by them. And yet no one is outside the bounds of grace. And so there is a redemptive arc, to continue our story analogy, that is available to all people. And 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 I think it's hard, because it's easy if our enemy stays our enemy, right? Yeah. If that person that hates and is evil and is possessed by evil stays possessed by evil, they're easier to deal with than if I say, that's a human being, and I have to deal with their evil, I have to call out their evil, but they're still a human being, and and it's very complicated.
0: It is. Within this chapter here in Matthew 10, one of the things that he predominantly emphasizes is that it's not going to be obvious necessarily who Mm -hmm. is evil because it comes as wolves in sheep's clothing. And we somehow think that we're immune from that. We kind of put these arbitrary rules around who can be evil and who can't in the modern world. Um, But whenever you do see people be possessed, I know I used the illustration of the mob earlier. And just to kind of return back to that, there really is a different sort of consciousness that takes possession of people. Um, and I know you kind of brought up the whole, like, oppression, victim kind of language. You know, Marxism used a lot of that, and it would convince people, and mm-hmm. you found this throughout Russia, that you're you're oppressed by these farmers who were, in all actuality, like, as poor as everybody else was, but they would go and kill these people. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you have, like, millions of people dead within just a, a very short period of time because people got possessed by this mob mentality that says, oh, we've gotta go kill the farmers and they do wicked, wicked stuff. But Jesus on the cross, and you find this in Luke's gospel where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There is this general understanding in scripture that says God did not create you to be part of a mob.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and when you're dealing with evil, Jesus makes that distinction. I'm not saying Jesus says they're not guilty of what they are doing. Right. he's willing they're to still forgive them. Yeah, there's still some level of accountability. But, and one of the reasons why I want us to talk about this, and one of the reasons why I taught the lesson I did Wednesday, is loving your neighbor also is casting a demon out from them. Mm-hmm. And we, we live in this day and age where we think everybody kind of agrees on what evil is. In Scripture, we find, you know, in, in Matthew 8, there are people who are mad at Jesus for casting out a demon. You look in Acts chapter 16, there's the little girl possessed by a spirit, and people are mad,
1: mm-hmm.
0: outright mad when, Jesus, well not, when um, Paul and Silas cast the, the demon out. They're like, hey, hey. You go to jail. We liked that demon in that little girl. Right. Um, And we as the church have to realize that loving our neighbors, you have to look beyond the possession. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, a a year ago, you know, we're back to the letters. A year ago, I would have said, you know, the possessions don't look like heads spinning around, but they might. Well, uh,
1: yeah we don't discount that um, <laughs> yeah, i'm not gonna
0: <laughs> discount that l- listen
1: there are some weird things in ministry that 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 all the years you you could go four years to a bible college uh, another you know three to five years in seminary and another three to five years in a doctorate and you will still not be prepared for the weird nonsense that happens in ministry um i remember one time we were at we were doing a basketball night at trinity i wasn't even an ass- i was still in college so i wasn't even assigned to trinity i was just attending there i was starting to build up some kind of relationship and trying to to become more of a leader in the church but pastor mike was the pastor there then and another associate pastor ryan jolly and this kid just comes running up to us from the community and says hurry quick my mom needs holy water and we're like what and they're like my mom needs holy water and so mike grabbed a bottle of water and 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 we prayed over it and we handed it back to this little girl and she ran back out to her house I have no idea what the end of that story is. Uh nobody in college sat me down and was like, "This is how you sanctify holy water or what even you, know, you do with holy water?"
0: <laughs> that sounds like a story from the book of Acts itself. And even with the un- unsure ending of it because like you read through that story, like what happens to the girl? We like, don't
1: know. Yeah, don't and know. and that's what and and so yeah, but yeah, there is this like uh I don't know where I was going. Other to say, yeah, sometimes The possessions of evil, sometimes Hollywood does have it right, but only more on accident than I think intentionally. Yeah, sure. But anyways, but when we face those things, those weird things of of life, yeah, it is. It's it's hard sometimes to deal with them because we don't know what is going on. We don't know all the circumstances. We don't know... Sometimes we don't even know what the evil is that's possessing them. Like you were saying, like, there isn't a unified theory yeah, on evil. Yeah, you know,
0: that's that's the thing. We don't know exactly its form. And again, studying evil too much and trying to emulate it can can consume you. I mean, that that can be a pathway to becoming evil. But at the same time, Scripture kind of gives us some, some taste of mm-hmm. what it might be. Interestingly, there in, in Matthew 10, of course, Jesus says, don't just stay with those who will have you. Stay with those who will welcome you and hear your words. Those who are worthy... Of your presence. And that's an important distinction to make, especially within that chapter, because he also invokes the name of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, For those that won't welcome you and hear your words, it'll be worse for them than the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, with Sodom and Gomorrah, those people would have you, but they didn't want to welcome you. Mm. And that's an important distinction to make. Mm. They will have you, they will consume you, mm. but they won't welcome you. They're not here to to actually have a negotiation with you and and learn something or
2: acceptance.
0: Yeah, there's, and even that word has kind of got a dislocated usage in our modern day and age. But anyways, Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts on all this evil, its origin and how we, we interact?
2: Well, you know, I think, first of all, God did not create evil. I think it's the absence of God that evil comes about because if we look at Genesis, especially in the creation story where, where, you know, God, he looked at all that he had created and and it was very good. Um, not, you know, it was all good except a little bit of evil. No, it was all very good. Then if we look to, um, you know, the gospel according to John and in John 1 where it does a lot of echoing of Genesis in the beginning was the word. And the Word was from God. And, of course, you know, G, be, he's talking about Jesus there being in the beginning. And everything was created through him and for him. And, and so evil was not created by God. But the fall of humanity, the fall of creation, it produces evil. And so we are free will creatures, and so it's it's the it's almost like uh, I think someone said you know evil's like darkness because it is the absence of light, and that light being the light being Christ. And again, you hear that in the Gospel according to John in the prologue there. But evil, uh, if you ask me about the origins of it, it comes at the fall of of creation and uh, especially humanity. And we see that as much as um, evil is not created; it is produced by free will creatures. Yeah, and and, and uh, to go on what Amanda said, you, you, I don't know how, but until you've been visiting and had a few dog bites, you, you just don't learn that in any education. You just got to experience that. It's it's uh, on the job training.
0: Yeah, um, to the point of looking there at Genesis, the tree that the fruit is eaten from is not the tree of good and evil, it's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's yes. a very important distinction to make mm-hmm. because evil itself is something which is uncreated. It is it is real, but it is also an absence. It is uncreated by God. And yes, people can produce evil, but God himself does not produce evil. Evil is uncreated by God. It's, it's here with us, but only as a product of the fall. It's sort of like darkness. You turn off the light, you have darkness. It's an absence. And also, when you, you look at evil, it is like many other products of the fall, like death. Death isn't passed from parent to child the same way that the breath of life is. You know, you can have a dead possum under your church here. A couple of weeks later, you can have a dead skunk over there or a dead goose in the yard. Um, they don't have any direct connection to one another, whereas the breath of life is passed through direct Connection, like I mean, the mother's alive, the child's alive. It goes um, that sort of direction. Um, But Pastor Mike, you had another thought. Well, I just wanted to say
2: back, referring to the uh, the knowledge of good and evil in the in the in that tree, because uh, you know, I think the whole part there of receiving the fruit from this tree was to was really the bypass it's not that that knowledge of good and evil is bad but receiving it from somewhere else other than god that god really desired communion with human beings in the in the garden, that we would get our knowledge of good and evil from God, not from somewhere else. And so the absence of light is also, I think, the absence of learning from God. And so going to this is the absence of communion from God, receiving our our understanding and and developing it, trying to, to bypass God in some type of way sure. uh, is, is indeed the, the origins of evil.
0: And when Adam and Eve are given free will, I mean, it's a real free will. It's not like you went to the Dollar General and said, do I want Skittles or M&Ms? Like principally, yes, they are different, but they're both candy. There's not a fundamental difference between the two. And I, some people might argue that but <laughs> no, they're candy. But if you make a decision like it's the 4th of July weekend, if you wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to kill my brother. Or you wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to have a barbecue with my brother very different outcomes. And if you if you go one path, the world will be forever changed. Your life will be forever changed. Your, your brother will be no more after that's over. There's a fundamental difference between those choices. And God gave them a, the ability to do that. They could choose God or they could reject God. And in rejecting God, in listening to the, the tricks of the serpent, which, were are clever. He gets her to focus on whether or not the tree is... Or the fruit is good for food. And I think it, it probably was, but that's not the whole story. You you took one piece of truth to sell yourself a lie. Um, so that's kind of my, my thoughts on that. But, Amanda, did you have any thoughts on well, this sort of origin?
1: Yeah, and I was going to say, I think if we understand the origin better, then we understand how to fight it better. Because if we do see it as an uncreated thing, a thing that is absence. Um, then how we deal with it, like Pastor Mike was saying, is if God's intent was not a trick or a test, it wasn't like, oh, God wants to, you know, catch you with your hand in the cookie jar, but it was this opening for free will to truly be expressed. Um, how we remedy that is then the original design, that the end is with the beginning in mind or the beginning is had the end in mind. It is to come back to walking in the cool of the day. Um, And so as we deal with evil and we understand it as, if we understand it as an uncreated thing versus a thing to be uh, extracted, as some of the old holiness language once said, uh, that the the sin nature had to be uh, removed. And we've changed that language a little bit, I think, for the better. You
0: know, I think there might be a place for that. We could have like a uh, holiness (laughs) extract and then like the demonic extract. Extract.
1: But the idea of there was something that is uncreated, there is death there's brokenness and so the way to fix that is not simply by either ignoring it or some kind of false religious piety but it is healing yeah it is it is coming back together it is mending it is salve it is salvation and and i think so if we see it as an uncreated thing we don't deal with darkness by yelling at the darkness or or you know um I don't know trying to make more darkness we deal with the darkness by turning on the light yeah and so I, I think that when we talk with these uncreated things the thing to redeem it or to to reconcile it is not to continue in in these behaviors of uncreation of destruction but it is by creation and, yeah. and, and so what that looks like for our everyday lives is reconciliation with people we have broken relationships with it's it's finding wholeness yeah um and so i don't know can i
0: throw in one thing real quick when you were talking about how you've got to turn on the light with adam and eve there was an illumination in them that was unique among all of god's creatures with the breath of life they truly were extraordinary they were Mm -hmm. extraordinary in the sense that they had a capacity to reason and interact with the world that was quite unique and even when you go there in the garden it's long before paul's writing letters so but the sentiment is there that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're not just conformed to all other creatures. You're not conformed to all other things. You, you have something unique about you. And even that reference I made to Luke when Jesus is on the cross and he says, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus is looking at people possessed by something that has reduced them down to an inhuman level. Evil likes to make people inhuman. You know, they have the NPC memes floating around. Evil likes to reduce you to where you are just an NPC, regurgitating things. Maybe you are convulsing and foaming at the mouth. Who knows? But regardless, that's not what God wanted for you. And the antidote really is to turn on the light. I actually think that's just a, a great way to wrap that up.
1: Well, and I think um, to respond to that, I guess what I was trying to get my thoughts together <laughs> towards, and that thank you for uh, helping me get there, but was that. As Pastor Mike said, the goal was not to keep knowledge away from Adam and Eve. The yeah. goal was for them to learn it from God, and and I think there there was a philosophy. I don't know if it's still popular now, but it was something we were I was exposed to when I went through Trevecca, and it, it was presented as simply one theological way of reading the the fall narrative in in Genesis three, and said that it was the fall was necessary and it was actually a fall up, that sin had to happen so that we could be mature beings. And the more and more I'm pastoring, the more and more I think that's a heresy. Um, And I don't remember who originated that, and I may be calling out a really smart uh, person, but um, I'll call it out uh, heresy. I'll I'll do it proudly. I, I don't think it was a fall up and I don't think for us sin was not necessary for us to be mature beings because that's what their their basic philosophy was saying well because of the fall then we can know how it's kind of like you don't know what, you know real you don't appreciate the sun uh, shine until you've gone through the rain that's just yeah. bull like yep. it's just nonsense I hate it. It, listen pain is part of this world because it's a part of this world not because it's necessary yeah and, and I, it's not necessary because if it was I'm necessary confused. then it would have been in the creative order then yeah. it will be in the end when there is nothing but creation then it will be there but it's not so therefore it is not necessary sorry got a little ticked but what i'm trying to say is
0: no no i like this in fact let's just let the let the fire burn on this one. let's <laughs> let the holy spirit come here because i well this is an exorcism taking place go pastor Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is like the joint exorcism because I, I want to tell what heresy is, bit. is it not? It's yes, exorcising yes, those that are with.
1: We're gonna we're excommunicating. Yeah, we're ex-communicating the, that.
0: This is a heresy that does need to be rooted out because it's the whole idea that God exists as like the opposite of the devil. That you mm-hmm. can only see God's goodness by the evilness of the devil. It's, it's, it's sort of this dualism. False, it's what was that
1: dualism? Oh yes, yes, Which Which Christianity is not. In case anybody else was curious.
0: <laughs> no, no, we are not dualists.
1: And, um, yeah, I just I I think and 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 it, it, that kind of philosophy comes out especially in times of crisis. Yeah. It 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 it's the mantra of a hurt church. I think sometimes because we're trying to make sense of our pain, we're trying to yeah. make sense of the the chaos in our world. But but chaos again. It's uncreated. There is no yep. sense to it. it. It's not orderly. It, it 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 cannot abide by the rules of order and logic. And, and now, yes, evil is smart, and evil knows how to misuse, like we see in the serpent, misuse and, and confuse the created order. But it is not orderly within itself. And sure. so, how dare we try to fit it into the order created, uh, the creative order? Yeah,
0: and mm-hmm. and to the point of. A wolf in sheep's clothing. Yes. Yes. A wolf in sheep's clothing, indeed. To the point of one of the things that's one of the big failures of this logic that says you don't know how bright the sun is till you've seen like a rainy day or something like that, is it fails to actually give people an affirmative case for what is good, what is true, and what is holy. Mm -hmm. It fails to give people the true merits of something saying, no, the sun is a noble and radiating body because it is god is a holy and righteous it exists god. on its own yes god exists on his own and god is the king on his own yeah. christ is king because christ is lord he doesn't need you to be down here you know wallowing around like an alligator who's happy because he's getting another meal um just with joy and in in sin and and then christ can say well now i have something to transform you out of because you're this ugly monster no no he is because he's pure um the whole argument that says you know, it's the sun versus the rainy day. You know, that's just an argument that says this is a little bit better than that. It's yeah. it's sort of like, hey, would you like to, um, I don't know, we'll say Burger King is maybe a little better than McDonald's or something like that. It's like, but so, what about steak? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it, it doesn't actually show you something good for the sake of that.
1: Well, and, and I think also is, it, it's... Uh, obviously we're using human words to describe a a very very complex issue um it it comes from also a misplace of understanding of things even the natural order of rain and sunshine um both are good both are necessary for life but death is not necessary for life and i think um and of course we talk about like the seed dying in order for a plant to grow but plant ultimately lives and and so again analogies are short-sighted sometimes but um we have to see that again the the goal of things god created the universe was to make space to make space for humanity to thrive for creation to thrive for there to be life and life abundant that's why he tells them go and multiply um has really nothing to do i think so much with just the biological act of reproduction it has everything to do with the creative order being told that you have a responsibility to everything around you. And it is to give life and to be a part of living and thriving and humanity decided it knew best. And ultimately that led to death. And now it is through death that sometimes we can learn and we can grow. But that is not that was not the original design, and that was not the purpose. Even today, in the midst of death, yeah. our purpose is not to be uncreated.
0: And just to have one little thought on that, which we're at time. We've got to like wrap this up. Oh, sorry. Um, to the point of, you know, with Adam and Eve, they do have responsibility having dominion over the earth. And even with Cain and Abel, like, the whole story is, yeah, you are supposed to be your brother's keeper. You're not yourself and your brother at the same time. You're not like this collective hive mind mob. But there is—you are an individual— and you live within, you know, and you've got a neighborhood, you've got some others, you've got some family, um, you have friends, you even have enemies. You do have brothers and sisters that you are, you know, accountable to and accountable for. But at the same time, in the end, God only judges you on, on your individual status. He doesn't want you to be reduced to like some collective hive mind. You're not the Borg. And, and the Borg is evil. And there's a reason why there's a Star Trek villain. But anyways, um, so we feel like we kind of hit some things on this. We got to wrap I up. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, I liked where this went.
2: Uh, just one final thought there. And, uh, you know, we were going to go into what are the expectations of evil? And, you know, I think you can ask that question and look at it for two different ways. Of evil, is evil got expectations? Uh, or do we have expectations of evil? Uh, at the end of the day, when we see something that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus says that
0: is, you know, that is the enemy. Yep, um, come yep. still Absolutely. and that is evil Yep. so with that we thank you for being with us we hope that you enjoyed this program we we really do thank you for spending time with us so we're going to wrap up our program for today and again check us out we'll be here again next week so um, I'll actually close us out in prayer today gracious Heavenly Father we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together I ask that you bless everyone that's in our audience whether they be in their cars their homes wherever they're listening to this Lord we thank you again for all that you do for us we ask all of this through Christ our Lord Amen
1: mm-hmm.
0: and on that note God love you and have a blessed day.